Welcome to Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros. Here you'll learn everything you need to know to be a successful real estate entrepreneur and achieve the financial freedom you've always wanted. There's no BS, no fluff, there's zero guru talk, just real real estate flipping knowledge. Here's your host, Greg Simpson. Hey, what's up, Alliance? It's Greg here again, and today I have with me Fernando Angelucci out of uh, Chicago, Illinois. He is doing big things up there. He's investing all over Chicago, Indiana, Florida, and a couple other places around the country as well. So we are very lucky to have him on the show. Fernando, welcome. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. Alliance members out there, hope you're doing well. Awesome, Fernando. So tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your, your personal life, and fill up in some of the gap there. Yeah, so um, I'm 26 years old. Uh, I run a real estate kind of conglomerate. It has five or six different companies within it with my partner, Steve Moore. Like you said, we invest in Chicago, Indiana, Texas, Florida. Recently, we have been uh, really focusing on our rental business. Um, that's one of the four that we're uh, really spending a lot of time on. But, but the four businesses that we, that we run, there's the wholesale business that feeds into all the other three. There is the, the fix and flip business. We don't do much in that um, right now just because our wholesale business is doing so well. Uh, we buy buy and hold properties, uh, either cash with equity or uh, through seller finance and joint venture partnerships. And then the newest venture is that we source institutional grade multifamily for pensions, hedge funds, REITs, um, anything that's 200 units or larger within one complex, $20 million minimum purchase. Um, so that's a little bit about kind of the business and where I'm at. Like I said, I'm, I'm based in Chicago, so we do a, a, the bulk of our business here. I love the city um, and all the, the counties around. I think it's a very strong market and allows for different exit strategies, whether you want to do only fix and flip or buy and hold. Um, there's, there's basically locations across the entire Chicagoland metro area that will allow for any strategy that you're looking to employ. Personal life, uh, um, I'm a single guy living in the northwest part of Chicago uh, in some more gentrifying-style neighborhoods. My partner, Stephen, uh, he lives with his girlfriend of nine years and their three uh, dog babies. So <laughs> it's actually funny. Stephen wanted to be on the podcast, but today he's uh, walking through six properties uh, nice. that we are making offers on tomorrow and then also doing some work around uh, our most recent um, uh, the four buildings that we just purchased for our rental portfolio. Nice. That's cool. Him and I would have a lot to talk about since we, we also have three dogs in our household. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your fur babies? Yep, exactly. Yep. My wife has a sticker on her car that says, or her uh, SUV that says, fur babies on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Fernando, tell us a little bit how you guys, or how you and, and, and your partner got introduced into real estate. Yeah, so it, it's actually funny. So, um, I went to University of Illinois, and I had a uh, random assignment roommate, and that happened to be Steven, and we just hit it off as soon as, um, as, soon as we met. Uh, he was in the marketing advertising space. I was in the engineering space. Um, we graduated, went our separate ways. I went out to Iowa and uh, worked for a, a Fortune 50 chemical company as wow. a salesperson, um, and then Steven sticked around Chicago and worked for high-profile, uh, large restaurant clients. Um, you know, new chic, exclusive style restaurants and doing all the marketing and advertising PR that comes along with that. Then I found out that, you know, I 
you know, I went to school. My both my parents are born. They're both from Brazil, and uh, you know, they pegged into my mind the whole idea. I, I'm sure you got listeners out there that are also first generation where their parents always say, you know, don't get any debt, go to school, get straight A's, get a good job, stay there for 40 years, retire with a pension, and then you're set. And so that was kind of the mentality that I was I was groomed on. Uh, but then when I actually got into the field, I found out that I hated it. I hated having a boss. I hated the fact that the harder I worked didn't equate to more income to me because I was on salary. I mean, maybe a couple thousand bucks as a bonus. But, you know, when I was bringing in, you know, millions of dollars for the company, um, I, I didn't like that. Yeah, um, funny how that I works, I started huh? thinking back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started thinking back. And I remember in high school, I read this book that I'm sure a lot of your, your Alliance members have, have read before, and it's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. And it just totally blew my um, concept of how to live life and um, how to be financially secure be, just because of my background. And this is, you know, the exact opposite of what my parents had taught me. So I, I remember back to that, and throughout college, I always had an interest in, in real estate. And I was reading, you know, I was devouring books. I went through all the Rich Dad series books. I went through you know, Grant Cardone and, and, you know, every one of the big names. Um, and then when I finally got into the, the work life, the nine to five, I hated it. And I said, Hey, let's, let's try this out. So, um, I, I called my boss on like my 13th month. I gave him a two weeks notice. And then three weeks or three days later, I called him again, said, Hey, two weeks is too long. Today's my last day. Meet me at the dealership to pick up the truck. Huh. Uh, so, so I basically, um, you know, when I did this, I only had about three months of runway, and that was including my 401k. So I had to pull everything out just to survive. And it's funny, one of my friends always makes the analogy I, I basically jumped out of the airplane without a parachute and then had to build the parachute on my way down before <laughs> I hit the ground. <laughs> so I, I figured, okay, if I want to get this thing started, I got to go out with a bang. Um, so I did something that I do not recommend other people do. So, um, yeah, apply. So I applied for 56 credit cards and 16 of which were accepted. When they got in the mail, I immediately called each one of the credit card companies and I cash advanced the max limit off of each one of the cards. So wow. at, at, 22, year old, at 22 years old, I already had over $90,000 in credit card debt. <laughs> Holy crap. So um, that, that is how I, I funded uh, the growth and, and the, um, basically the scaling of my business as soon as it starts. So I was like, okay, let's let's check this out. Let's see what we can do. The first couple months were really hard. I, I put a lot of money towards marketing, and I knew that it takes a while to build that momentum. You just have to be consistent. So every month I was sending out 2,500 letters and 4,000 letters, 5,000 letters, always doing direct marketing. Um, and the initial things that I was focusing on were actually probate deals and pre forecast deals. Because I lived in Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, the capital, and I was four blocks away from the, the county courthouse. So I would go to the courthouse two hours a day and just scrub the records for any type of court case that had property, real property included in the assets of either defendant or the plaintiff, you know? So that's how I started. Got my very first deal. It was a really, it was a marginal deal, but it was money and it proved to me that the concept worked. Um, it was a two flat, I think it was 224 East Edison Street. Um, it was a two flat that was really run down. I, at the time I, I got the deal, I d- didn't have any cash buyers. So what I did is I found the, the most successful wholesaler in all of Des Moines. Um, and I said, Hey, Mark, I, uh, I got a deal. I think it's a deal. 
can you move it to your cash buyers for me? And he said, sure, I'm going to take a 50% cut though. And I said, whatever, you know, as long as I can get it done. Mm-hmm. And then went to the closing table about uh, three weeks later and made 2,500 bucks. So that was, nice. that was really neat for my, my first deal and, and proved the concept that it actually worked and that the consistency in marketing and the follow-up, as long as you're following up with people, you, you will get the deal done. Over the, oh, it's funny, over the years I have, I've noticed that it usually takes about seven to nine points of contact after the seller initial, initially calls you to actually get a deal done. Um, and I learned that very early on because with Edison, I mean, I think I had called this seller. We were playing phone tag and voicemails. And before we even got a chance to walk through the property, I was already probably like 14 or touches. Man. Wow. So that was that was very interesting. Yeah, so that happened. And then I started building the wholesale deal in Iowa. Uh, bought my first five flats very early on. Uh, once I learned how to use other people's money and joint ventures. One of my partners out of Colorado, Paul, um, he funded the deal for me. It was $40,000 cash, and it was producing about uh, 3600 gross a month. So that, that I jumped into the, the rental pool very early, which was good because I learned all the nightmares that go along with self-management and why you should always get a property manager. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, and, then I, and then just to be you know, a dick to Steven, I would shoot him texts of pictures of my checks. Every time I got a wholesale check, I'd send him another one and another one, another one. He eventually was like, Fernando, come on, man. Like, what are you doing here? I said, I want you to start doing this in Chicago. So he started up in Chicago while still in Iowa and he just started killing it. I mean, Steven's got this, this marketing genius about him. He just knows how people think. He knows how to market. He's extremely emotionally intelligent. So he knows how to build rapport very fast. Um, and then he eventually called me and said, hey, man, I need you out here. Uh, it's too much volume for me, which is good, but I'm starting to let things, you know, fall through the cracks just because we don't have a system and I need more help. So I eventually moved back to Chicago about two and a half years ago. Um, and ever since we just hit the ground running and things just started growing each year, we've been growing over by maybe a hundred percent each year. This, wow. this month, actually September is our largest month to date, the record breaking month. We bought a uh, six flat as a rental. We bought three single families as a rental. And then we're going to be closing on a 10 flat in about two days. And then on the wholesale side of the business, we grossed $126,000 this month. And then on the investment side, we just pulled, uh, we just pulled a great institutional partner that's looking to park about 500 million into low risk, uh, class, say multifamily in any of the top 25 MSAs in the country. So it's been a, it's been a, that's a good month. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of learning lessons. I will admit, you know, it's funny. Um, you've had some previous guests that say, you know, you can't plan for growth. It just happens and you have to, you just have to kind of you know, hold it by the reins and just take it for a ride. So we've been, there's been a lot of growing pains, but it's been, it's been a great ride. Fantastic, man. That's a, that's a hell of a story. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh what would you say your niche is? And then how did you actually come about finding that niche? Yeah, absolutely. So what I have found, there's two things that I say that are our niches here in Chicago. Number one is going to places that other people are afraid to go. So I make maybe 64 to 65% of our gross income comes from the South side of Chicago. Okay. If you're not from Chicago, the only thing that you know about the South side of Chicago is that it's the murder capital of the United States year over year. You know, all you hear is Englewood mm-hmm. and the problems down there. What people don't realize is the South side of Chicago, it's over 50% of the landmass of Chicago. 
just because one little neighborhood Englewood is causing issues doesn't mean that there's a lot, there's not a lot of opportunity elsewhere. So for example, there's a great area on the east part of the south side by uh, Lake Michigan that is really starting to come up very quickly. Oprah's got a house there. Obama had a house there. They're putting the Obama Congressional Library there. But with all these developments that are going in place, people are still afraid to go down there. And I'm going in and I'm picking up properties, 20, 30 cents on the dollar and renting them out for above 20% cap rate. I mean, my annual returns on some of these properties, if I showed you my, my net sheet, you wouldn't believe me. I mean, it's, huh. it's, it's crazy. And then so, because everybody wants to go where it's nice and everything looks great and 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 everything has already been gentrified. And the problem with going to those areas like Wrigleyville, where the Cubs play, like if you buy a three flat out there, it's going to cost you a million and two. Yep. And your annual return on that's going to be maybe three and a half percent, maybe four percent. It's great for appreciation play later on when your your portfolio is large enough to include a blended strategy. But what I've always told the people I work with is first get your get your cash flow properties down. You know, Stephen always makes a, an analogy. You have your workhorses and then you have your thoroughbreds. Mm-hmm. To, to get enough money to buy a thoroughbred, you've got to have a lot of workhorses because they're going to they're gonna withstand the fluctuations in market price. They're going to withstand, you know, cash needs. And they're also going to pay themselves off extremely fast. You know, a lot of our properties, they pay themselves off within two to four years um, of us buying them. And then... So that's one of my, my niches. It's working on the South. I work in areas that people are afraid to go into because then because of a higher barrier to entry, I have a better opportunity. The second niche that I, I found, which is not really a geographical niche, it's more of a strategy, is seller finance properties. You know, everybody that I talk to, even across the, the country, they're always complaining right now about low inventory, low inventory, low inventory. I don't see that at all. I, there's so much inventory. It's, I, I'm backlogged on offers that need to be made. Last week, we made 152 offers on the, on the MLS, not even off-market, on the MLS. Wow. Not to mention off our off-market pipeline. I'm actually pulling up Podio right now, my investor fees account. I have 192 off-market seller leads that have called in wanting offers uh, within the last month. Jeez, um, so that's there crazy. Is a ton of, yeah, there's a ton of inventory and people don't realize it. There is very low inventory for houses that are completely renovated and to the T's and brand new, but there's a ton of other properties out there that need a little bit of TLC or need a lot of TLC that can, even for a homeowner, if, you, if you're willing to just spend the time to hire a contractor, you can, you can profit off of these or at least build in some, some serious cushion equity for, you, for your individual house. Um, so what I've been doing is, for example, on the MLS, let's take one strategy that employs the seller finance. I make all my cash offers on the MLS. Usually, uh, we're going to be coming in anywhere between 50 and 70% of ARV. Um, a lot of these get rejected, obviously. But when we submit our signed contract and offer attached to the email, there's also a breakdown of saying, in, in the email saying, hey, if this cash offer too low, that's fine. When we purchase property, we partner with other investors and we partner with other lenders and we pay a high rate for that, anywhere between you know 10 to 15% interest per year. If you're willing to be the bank for us, I can raise your price by 10, 15%. I'll give you a, a decent amount of cash down. I'll, get, I'll pay you a very competitive interest rate and then I'll cash you out in 18 months to three years. And that's how I've been getting a ton of deals. And what I've found 
uh, with especially in the wholesale business with my my large um, cash buyer list in Chicago, I have about fifty seven hundred investors that get each one of my deals that I send out, um, and then another just shy of two thousand realtors also get the deals that I email out. The ones that they just go crazy over are the seller finance deals because then there's, you have a larger buying pool. When you don't have to require somebody to come all cash down on a $300,000 property, but maybe only come with $30,000 and then give them an 18 month to 36 month runway to stabilize the property or to sell it and flip it, that gives them the option to either carry that seller finance debt until they get paid on the final sale or if it's a rental property, allows them to show that they're a um, they're a competent landlord owner. It's always easier for a bank to refinance a rental property than it is to to help you purchase one. Exactly. You know. Yep. And and I learned this because I'm I'm also a I'm also a lender, and I was on the other side. I I remember going through investors' you know entire portfolio and package, seeing guys with million dollars in the bank cash, great business cash flow. And then getting turned down by our bank because just the structure or the way that they wanted to buy these properties didn't make sense uh, to the bank. But then I've, on the flip side, I'd see guys that come and say, hey, I don't need a purchase loan. I just need you to re- do a rate and term refinance out. And then I'd look at the original note and it wasn't a bank. It was just a private investor that was lending them you know, cash at 8 to 12% interest only and refining that rate and term out as opposed to getting a purchase loan and having to put 35% down was just, you know, leaps and bounds easier yep that's awesome all right Fernando. so tell me a little bit about what was the biggest turning point in your business that's a that's a good question so i would have to say the biggest turning point in my business was realizing and i know this is a stock answer uh, but it, it is really true and, and heartfelt the working on your business as opposed to working in your business i picked up this book called traction by gino wickman that showed you how to Approach growth and delegation with hyper precision. How to create scorecard models that basically holds everybody in your organization accountable and pushes them to achieve better goals, you know, quarter over quarter, week over week. That was a huge turning point for me because that's where we really started to take off. You know, me and Steven were just two guys, 26 years old. You know, we do work a lot, but we also like to party, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, it was very hard to 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 handle and juggle all that when when Steve and I were doing all we had we were wearing all the hats you know we were getting close to working fourteen hours a day and and I was dying and you know what's the point of us doing this right I always tell all my friends the reason I do real estate is because it's the easiest way for me to achieve my my one final goal and that goal is I want to do whatever I want whenever I want with whomever I want. And that was not, I wasn't being true to that goal when I was working 14 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. I just, I was burnt out and I was, I was in a terrible mood all the time. And once I read Traction and a couple of the other books, the E-Myth, um, that that really focused on delegation and elevation, um, that's when things really started to turn around and we started to, we started seeing, you know, double digit growth month over month. That's ridiculously awesome. I, I, almost every guest that I have on here talks about how traction has changed their business. So it, it did. And then the, there's a follow-up book called uh, Rocket Fuel. Yep. That is also just another gem. Cool. Love it. Okay. So on the flip side of that, tell us a time you were going through a really rough patch in your business 
And then how did you guys get out of that rut? Yeah, it was the, uh, I'd have to say it's just in the beginning. You know, the first two and a half years, it was really rough because we were starting new. We didn't have a lot of experience as far as things that we have lived through. We, you know, I, I, I took, I did all those courses and the guru things. And what I found was it, it, it's no substitute for actually doing it and just learning by fire. So in the beginning, you know, I was sitting on a lot of credit card debt and the momentum of the marketing hadn't really started kicking up to the point where I was feeling confident. And I, uh, you know, I, I fell into the same trap that a lot of people do. As soon as you start seeing money getting tight, you want to start really looking at your expenses. And the worst thing you can do when you're trying to build momentum is cut marketing budget. Marketing dollars, anytime that your business, you feel like it's going in the wrong direction, you should double down on marketing. I don't care if you don't have the money, go borrow it, go joint venture with somebody, find the cash because that is going to be the influx that's going to grow your business back to where it is. So we were, I mean, there was a couple of times where two, three months, I wasn't making any money and I was struggling to pay just my baseline fixed expenses. And so that was very rough because it was stressful, not only emotionally, but it was, you know, and on my relationships with other people, but then also on my partnership with Steven. And then we just sat down and we said, Hey, let's, let's figure this out. Let's rehaul everything. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So we said, okay, let's, let's look at what we've done and what works, what doesn't work, Let's cut out anything ruthlessly that does not work or maybe marginally work. And let's stick and focus to what we know. You know, that, that shine, everyone talked about shiny object syndrome. Um, it is a real killer. If you, if you go too far into one of these rabbit holes, uh, it can completely put you off track. It's going to waste money. It's going to waste even more importantly, it's going to waste time. So that, I think that was the biggest issue was in the beginning, the momentum, the trying to focus on too many things instead of specialize on one thing, get it down completely right. Once you've, you've understand the process and you've become an expert at it, then delegating that out to somebody, making sure that they know what they're doing and they become an expert at it before moving on to the next venture or expanding your business into a new field that you haven't been into previously. Cool, man. That's, I couldn't agree with you more. Could not agree with you more. Okay. So, Fernando, tell us one thing that you know now that you wish you'd know when you first got started since you were having all those things besides the marketing thing, because that was a good one. But what's one other thing you wish you knew now? Yeah, so I know this might go against a lot of people, but do not pay. Do not pay for the, the guru seminars and those, those type of coaching programs um, unless you really have pre-vetted out. You know, right out, out of the gate, I spent $30,000 on one mm. of these guru trainings sessions and what I should have done and what I tell a lot of people now is instead of spending that thirty thousand dollars, save that thirty thousand dollars. Number one, put it towards marketing, but number two, use it as just use it as your baseline of, of cost of living. And then instead of going and paying for one of those guru sessions, find some of the most successful guys in your market. I wouldn't say the the first or the second, but maybe the third most successful guy in your market. Call him up, pastor him or her and say, Hey, I want to work for you for free for three to six months in exchange, I want you to teach me what you do. And what I have found is, is even easier is instead of going in your own market, go find a market that's nearby, but won't be seen as competition when you um, ask to go do this. this a per perfect example is when I was learning how to do the rental business and the property management business, um, as well as buying at sheriff sales, I went to one of the biggest guys I knew in Indianapolis. 
he was a, a power player. I mean, you know, clearing his business probably did close to $90 million a year. Wow. And I called him and said, hey, you know, I would love, I called him literally every Monday, either shot him an email or I called him and said, hey, you know, Aaron, I saw you at this event. I'm really, you know, you really motivated me. I'd love to come work for you for free. Please, please, please. Every month. And then eventually he just shot me an email back. He's like, hey, if you promise to stop emailing me, I'll give you a one month trial. <laughs> okay, perfect. So perseverance does work. Um, so I, I drove out to Indianapolis. This is the time that I was still living in Iowa. Um, worked with him for about two months, two and a half months. And that two and a half months, I learned, I can't even talk. I mean, it, uh, the magnitude of the information that I learned from doing it in practice as opposed to just studying about it and some theoretical way to do deals was a lifesaver. That, that was one of the things that, so now every, every, every time I talk to people, I say, Hey, Fernando, how do you get started? I say the very first thing you should do, start reading. If you're not somebody that reads, start reading. If you hate reading, I don't care. Download audible. And I, I hate reading. I'm not a big reader, like physically reading, but I listen to maybe two or three audible books a week. You know, I have the unadvertised audible package where you like, you pay 200 bucks, and then in one day, they give you 25 credits to spend throughout the year. And I usually use two of those a year. Wow. Um, and then I say right after that, once you get a baseline knowledge, so you're not just helpless and that you know the lingo, then go find somebody that will mentor you and offer to, you got to make sure that you're going to offer them value though. So you have to make sure that you're not going to be stepping on their toes, either just because you're incompetent, you don't know the lingo that they're using or the fact that you're in, you're going to be in their market. No one's going to try to train somebody in their own market to be a competitor. I know we're all open and, and, and mm -hmm. we like to have this, this uh, abundance mentality, but it just goes against just ba basic subconscious, right? Yep. So those are going to be your two best ways. And um, I, I can't tell you, but just, especially because property management and rental business is one of those things where like, if you, if you don't do it right, it can really destroy you. Absolutely. Um, and that helped me substantially. So I, I always tell people, read up, make sure that you know the lingo, know at least a baseline of what you're talking about, and go find somebody, try to add value to them, and they're going to teach you along the way. So guys, Alliance, I want you guys are, to kind of maybe rewind this for a little bit here, and I want you to kind of reflect on this. Maybe you can pause this episode for about three to five minutes, and I want you guys to, if you've been listening to other podcasts that I've done with these, with these experts, the, the, the message is almost always the same. And I'm going to probably say this on episode 50 and episode 75 and 100. It's going to come back all the time. We're all telling you the same thing. These We're all the real players in there. We are not gurus. We do not have these $30,000 courses that we teach or we sell to our to these, to these the to people like yourself. And all of it, all of it comes down to having a mentor, a coach, whatever you want to call it. You know, you guys have to figure out it has to finally sink into you guys that that you can get a mentor for literally nothing whether you were on whether like we do what fernando said go work for them for a couple of months or if you just you know you provide value to them in some way shape or form like he said guys the the sky's the limit you will learn so much more and, and Fernando, this i'm sure you've heard this before or or, or had this happen to you many times how many times have you had a someone that wants to be a student of yours Say, hey, I want your help. I want to do this. I want to do this business and I want to be very successful. And I say, okay, cool. Meet me in my office every single day. And you're going to sit there all day and you're going to do what I tell you to do and so on and so forth. And then when Monday comes around, they don't show. 
they don't show. Exactly. I can't. I mean, probably to date, I've probably had over a hundred people ask me to yep. teach them what I do. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I've had to start building a kind of um, a lead funnel, just like in the yep. business, to weed out the people that aren't serious. So the very first thing I do is when somebody calls me or they're talking to me in conversation, they want me to teach them. I say, okay, that's fine. I'm going to send you a Google Drive, and it's going to have roughly it's going to have two folders. The first folder is called Start Here, and there's seven books. I won't talk to you until you read all seven of those books. After you read <laughs> Love those that. Books, after you read those books, give me a call, and I'm going to test you to see if you actually read those books. After you read those books, I will start giving you little tidbits on how to start working up. And I'm a big fan of don't try to teach somebody everything from beginning to end. Teach them enough to get to the next step. And when they get to that next step, they'll be able to do the thing that is required next. Or, or as um, you know, Matt, Matt Terry always says, go as far as you can see. And once you get there, you'll be able to see farther, right? Mm-hmm. So it, actually, I can tell you right now, I'll pull up the Google Drive. So, so I have sent this Google Drive to 104 people. Do you okay. know how many of those 104 have gone through just the first folder that says start here and called me back? I bet maybe one, maybe. Two, and Two. one of them works for me. Nice. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I don't understand. You guys you guys all want to talk the talk, but nobody wants to walk the walk and actually do it. Like, I don't, you know, I, I mean, the success rate of those gurus is like 2 3% of their students. And they put like three, 400 people in a room that have all paid $30,000. Again, do the math, guys. That's a terrible number. And most of those people that, that do succeed either are A, relentless, and they... Maybe they didn't have enough money to start like me. I didn't have any money really after this. I just had to go, you know, balls to the wall, nose to the grind and just push, push, push. Or they've already had, they have a lot of money backing them and they're able to, to kickstart their career. So yeah. don't spend that 30 grand, 40, 50 grand on a guru because you need that 30, 40, 50 grand for your business. You know, it's funny. I, I've gotten to the point now where the business feels easy. I know it, it just feels that way because I enjoy what I do. So when I work long hours, I don't feel like I'm working. But I, I think a lot of people that they see, you know, they see individuals that are successful in real estate, they, all they see is the success. They don't see yeah. the hardship that led to it. So they, they get this artificial sense that real estate is easy. So the easiest way that I start combating this, and again, another pre-qualification step when people ask to, for me to teach them, is, all right, you know, I'm just going to warn you right now, this is the hardest business out there. It's extremely difficult, and it requires a lot of hours. And if you're not ready for this, you're probably not cut out for this. And the great thing is, you over-promise the hardship of the business. So when the people actually start, you know, first of all, if somebody hears that and they're already like, all right, I'm out. If it's not quick money or fast money, I'm out. Great. I already pre-select you out of my potential pool of partners. But then the ones that actually say, hey, no, I like hardship. I want to persevere. When they actually start going through the business and say, hey, this isn't as hard as Fernando. Fernando made it seem like the world's going to end as soon as I start this business. And it's not ending. It's actually not that bad. So that's one of the, the techniques I also use, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's real life, man. It's how it works. So, Fernando, tell us a little bit about the craziest deal you've ever done. Oh, man, sorry. There are so many. <laughs> That's usually what everybody says. All right. So I, this is crazy, but not in a bad way. Just crazy is like how things work. So I made an offer on two multifamily properties, a six flat, which I actually just bought last Monday, and then a 10 flat, which we're going to be buying uh, next week. The investor 
that own these properties live in Saudi Arabia. He was trying to manage it from afar, and oh boy. the people that he surrounded himself with were not taking it seriously, and they basically ran the the the, the business into the ground. Um, we made the offers. We were talking back and forth, and then he said, you know what? I want to meet you guys, and he flew first class from Saudi Arabia to Chicago just for a meeting to meet somebody that was potentially buying his two properties. We meet. We end up hitting it off. Stephen uh, did the first two meetings. Turns out the guy is a multimillionaire. He runs multiple companies. Um, each one of the companies' growth is like over $4 million. He liked our offer so much. He liked our plan. This is one of the things that we always tell to sellers because one of the, the areas that we love to market to are tired landlords, landlords mm-hmm. that are having problems and they just want to get rid of the property. So what we do is we meet with them and we say, hey, here's our plan. Here's how we're going we're gonna to buy a property like this. Seller finance structure is always what we try to push. And here's how we're going to turn around. And the reason we always try to, to show them kind of the process of it is because if they're going to be seller financing for us, they're basically a partner. They need to know that we're going to succeed and they're not going to get the property back. Yep. So we showed them our entire plan, all the other properties that we've done this with and how they turned out. And he said, you know what? I like you guys so much. Let's start doing business together. I got a, a million for you guys first to start. If it does, if it works out well, I got another five. If that five works out well, I have a bunch of friends and we can get you very close to 50 million very fast. And I said, uh, what? Okay. You know, <laughs> what is happening right now? You know, but you never know who can be a potential partner. Maybe it is a seller. Maybe they are embarrassed or they're just so tired of not making any money in the, in the rental business actively, but they never thought about doing it passively. What if they just give the money to somebody that knows what they're doing and I can guarantee a return for them? They just get mailbox money. They get a check every month, you know? It's a beautiful thing. So that was probably the, the craziest one that's happened recently. That happened about uh, two months ago. Fantastic. That's freaking awesome. So uh, a couple quick things before we get you out of here. What do you think is the most common mistake the newbies make when they start? Uh, over-preparation. Man, okay. I mean, this, this is a problem for me. This was a problem for me as well. Again, I, I was trained as an engineer, so I'm very analytical. And the way the engineers work, and I'm sure you got engineers out there listening, we are trained to plan for the worst, but hope for the best. But the problem is when you're planning for the worst, it scares you so much you never act. I think they call it an analysis paralysis. Yep. Like I said, don't worry about what title company to use to close your deal if you haven't even selected the type of marketing you're going to do. Don't even worry about setting up a website or business cards or an LLC if you have no money or you have no, no business to advertise or no assets to protect. Bingo. Just, just go out there and do it. You know, I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, how did you start? I have no money. You know what's a great place? It takes a little bit more work, but a great place to find deals? Craigslist, Zillow. This is all free leads. that you can go out there. It's, the response rate is going to be a little bit lower, but you're going to get deals from that. And you're going to start making cash. Start actually pulling in income before you start trying to set up this whole web of entities and business cards and, you know, all this rigmarole that's not important in the beginning. Just go out there and do it. Just do it, you know? Fantastic. That's awesome, dude. That's absolutely the tr- That's probably the biggest thing we get at our at, uh, the, the local TB RIA that I own. I mean, the, the RIA, we get so many people that just, they can't get out of their own way. Yeah. So. I was, I was one of those people. <laughs> most most I, I feel like most of the people that I've met that are getting started in this business are that way and it's not no fault of their own it's just the way that we're that most people are brought up and 
you know, I'm lucky that my, my mom was an entrepreneur. Um, my dad was not, but he was in sales. So it was kind of sort of the same way. So like, I didn't have that pounding. You must go to college. You must get a good job. I, I got a little bit lucky in that sense. So I, I think I was able to like take that risk a little bit more freely, but it, it was still very, very difficult. Yeah. And you know, I, I always tell people, if you think something is risk-free, great. You're going to get what risk-free investments make you, you know, 1%. If you want a risk-free investment, go throw your money in a CD. Yep. If you want to make money, you have to take risks. That's how it works. If there aren't risks, no, everybody would be doing it and making a ton of money. It wouldn't mm -hmm. work, right? But here's the thing. If it seems risky, it is. Go do it, though. You know, start, insulate your risk. I'm a, I'm a big fan of always... It's not about the profit. It's not about the upside. It's all about mitigating the downside within a reasonable amount that still lets you act. So if you think something's riskier, maybe you only have $1,000 to start marketing and you're worried, great. Be worried because that's going to give you more motivation, but at least be worried while you're doing it because it's going to keep you on track. Mm -hmm. All right, Fernando. So you told us what your favorite book is pretty much. I'm assuming it's Traction or is it a different book that's your favorite? Uh, yeah, so it, it depends. So I have, um, you know, I, I do go through a lot of books. So my favorites right now, and I'm, I'm going to try to not repeat the ones from your previous guests. So on the personal side, I love to travel. Um, there is this great book by Ralph Potts called Vagabonding in the Art of Long-Term Travel. And that's one of the things that, you know, another thing you know that falls into my do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, is I just want to Eventually, once everything's running and I got good passive income in, just disappear for a year or two and just go travel Asia or travel Europe. Um, mm -hmm. That's a great book, uh, not only for getting your mind right and, and, and perceiving other cultures correctly, um, but also basically showing you how there is, you know, people fear all these things. And the problem of us being, you know, these advanced you know, mammals is that we have this prefrontal cortex that allows us to visualize things that aren't even happening just as a way to protect ourselves. But the problem is, say you're visualizing yourself getting attacked by a lion, the stress and the cortisol hormones that would happen in that situation still happen when you're visualizing it. So I like to do this thing called a fear setting exercise. And I learned this from Vagabond. I also learned this from, um, from Tim Ferriss. Okay. If you're, if you're about to do something, Put two grids, numbered one to 10. First, start with the worst case scenario being death. That's a 10 on the fear scale. And least worst case scenario of fear being, you know, oh, you know, I'm inconvenienced slightly. That's a one. So say I'm going to start a new business and whatever it may be, I'm going to go bake some muffins or start a real estate business and say, okay, on the fear scale, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I probably won't die. You know, that's a 10. A nine to a seven is okay. I probably won't go to prison. You know, a, a <laughs> six to six to a four be like, you know, maybe I run out of money. I have to live on reserves or I have to move in back with my parents or, or with a friend. And then one to three being, you know, oh, it was just a minor inconvenience. And then, but then here's the key about this. Then you have the second scale one to 10, which is what is, if everything goes right, what is the potential for profit? What is the potential for personal reward? What is the potential for happiness? And what I found is if that spread is more than two or three, just do it. So if I, if I, for example, I did this when I started the real estate business. My fear was, okay, I'm gonna run out of money and worst case scenario, I moved back in with my parents in Chicago. So I was like, okay, that's a four, let's call it a four. 
but on the success scale, my my number was a 10. I can become financially free. I can never work again. I can travel the entire world and not have to worry about money. I can make sure all my family members and friends are taken care of. So it, a four to a 10, that's a six-point spread. That's a clear choice. I'm obviously going to do this. So that's on the personal side. And then on the business side, since I just mentioned Tim Ferriss, uh, the, his most recent book, which is called Tools of Titans, Tim, mm-hmm. what he did was he interviewed these just Goliath entrepreneurs and marketing geniuses and social, you know, warriors, everybody that's at the top of their class, uh, uh, you know, sports, hedge funds, everything it's across all, all industries. And each one of the sections is maybe two to five pages long. So for those that think they don't have a lot of time, it's easy. You know, you're drinking coffee, you just read one or two sections, 10 pages, and you have some great nuggets from some of the best people in the world in their fields. You know, I always tell people, if you read 10 pages a day, everyone thinks like reading or listening to books is just, again, another, another this hurdle of like, oh, I can't do that. It basically stops them from even starting. But if you read 10 pages a day, every morning, call it 20 minutes, that's 300 or 3,650 pages a year. If your average book is 300 pages, that's 10 books a year right there that you created with 20 minutes in the morning when you just be staring off into this and drinking coffee anyway. Awesome. Okay, Fernando, man, thanks for coming on the show today. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. What, what would your parting uh, words be to the Alliance? Reach out, reach out to each other reach out to Greg, go to your local RIAs, start partnering up with people. If you don't have the money, find somebody with the money. If you don't have the knowledge, find somebody with the knowledge. If you don't have the time, find somebody with the time. This is a business where we succeed when we collaborate. It's funny. Everybody thinks that I have competitors here. You know, Chicago is a big market. There's a lot of investors. I don't view those investors as my competitors. They're all my potential partners because eventually there's going to be a deal they can't do or there's eventually going to be a deal I can't do. And just by forming an alliance, we'd be able to get that deal done together. Mm-hmm. Love it. Awesome again. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Rick. You've just listened to another Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros podcast. You're another step closer to fulfilling your dreams as a successful real estate entrepreneur. We'd like to thank you for putting your trust in us to be your guide into this exciting venture called real estate investing. For more information, visit our website at www.flippingrealestatelikethepros.com. Catch you on the flip side, Alliance.